Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hoops Journey. Um, a privilege to have a, a historian of basketball in our country, um, a guy who has been with our national team for uh, decades, uh, coached numerous U sport teams, um, involved in the college league as well, a rich history, played against some of his teams, connected with guys that he's coached, I've played with as well. Um, and, uh, you know, he's down visiting his son in Indiana right now. We're really, you know, fortunate that he's taking the time to be with us. We have none other than Mr. Uh, Dave Diavero tonight. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're good, you know, just uh, juggling lives and basketball seasons and, and all that stuff, but getting through it and and doing our best, man. So, you know, I, I think uh, there's lots to be negative about these days, but I think it's important to kind of try to find those positive things each day and do the best we can. Totally. You know, yeah. it's been a tough time for two years not being able to play or get into gyms and do what we love to do. But, you know, I just got to think positive and be positive. Absolutely. Um, and, and let's just get into that right away. How's life for you and your family? Um, you know, your son, obviously down in the States and um, you're able to get down and see him and stuff like that. So that's good. But uh, how have you guys been doing through all this, you know, crazy stuff that we've been uh, working through? Not bad. I mean, you know, I took the job at Ryerson right at the beginning of COVID. So <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it was a crazy time for me not being able to coach the team that I thought I was going to coach when I got there. And so and then being in lockdown, you really couldn't do much. So my son was, you know, at that time in his last year at prep at prep school. So we were just trying to find any outdoor courts to train on and places to to work on his game uh, before he uh, before we went away. And so it was a uh, it brought us closer together that way. I was able to spend more time with him. Yeah, that's the I guess you would say the positive thing so far is that I think a lot of families have been able to spend more time together and and just have that quality time that you probably wouldn't have had because everyone's doing a little bit of what they're doing, their jobs or schooling, yep. whatever. So, you know, and it, it's, it's been tough that way, but um, you know, like I said, we'll get, we'll get through this and, and we'll all be better on when it's up, when it's done. You got it. Yeah. And you, you say that the, the quality time with family, as I hear my wife trying to get my five-year-old out the door to go skiing for the day. And the, it sounds like someone's <laughs> sacrificing a lamb. So <laughs> sometimes the being together was a little bit taskful, but whatever, it's all good. You make a good point there. And um, those are moments and times that we'll never get back. So good, good yeah. perspective for sure. Let's get right into it. All right. Obviously, basketball, a huge <laughs> part of your life, so much history that we can get into. And I'm excited to talk more about that today. But tell us about yourself growing up and, and how sports was around you and, and who were some of those early coaches that sort of drew you to the game of basketball? You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a lifer. Yeah, I, I can say that I'm a lifer. You know, go, going through high school, different times, right? All the All the different things that are available for kids now weren't available for us in terms of the different clubs, AU, even the provincial team, it was a, just a different time for basketball. When you're in high school, you played every sport, and that's what I did. I just played every sport and then kind of fell in love with basketball. All my friends were, were playing basketball, so we spent a lot of time doing that. Consumed a lot of my time, and it probably kept me out of trouble playing on the outdoor courts in Toronto and just you know being consumed by it. And then you know, when I was in high school, we went. To, I was at a pretty good high school where we were – one of the best teams, you know, in the province and probably throughout Canada. And my high school coach, uh, Mike Cates, who ended up, you know, was the coach at Humber College for years. He was your high school coach too? Yeah, he was my high school no coach too. Way. Yeah. yeah, That's yeah. awesome. That's amazing. That's how I ended up at Humber as an assistant with that Mike. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, he kind of wasn't always on track academically when I was in high school. So Mike was the kind of guy that got me on track, you know, told me that, Hey, you can go on and play. Uh, you can go on and play basketball in high school, and so that kind of got me on track a little bit. And that was my goal was to get to uh, post secondary school and play basketball at university. And so I was able to do that at the University of Ottawa. And then you know I got into coaching right after I I graduated and spent a season playing overseas in Portugal. And so those high school years. You mentioned just, you know, having a really good team. You had some good players and guys with you. You just found yourselves just playing a lot of ball, kind of a 24-7 passion it just became. Or, you know, and when when did you decide to drop those other sports and really focus in on basketball? 
if you remember. It's not that long ago, right? No, because in in high school, you, you know, you played every sport up at probably till like grade, you know, grade twelve, right? Yeah. Again, you, know, you weren't specializing when you were thirteen and fourteen because we didn't have trainers. You know, we didn't have AAU. You're just kind of kid. You're just doing whatever, right? You just, yeah. In the summertime, you're outside playing baseball. You're outside playing football, playing hoops, whatever, whatever you were doing. You're just there were so many different things to do. So many now, kids are just so locked in and specialized. Uh, I, you know, I don't know whether that's a good thing or whether it's a bad thing. Like, you know, mm. with kids at an early age being specialized in one particular sport and missing out. And now, I mean, high school sports, especially basketball, is pretty much dead in Ontario because the prep school scene is, is taking it over. And so it's a, it's a whole different landscape right now. Yeah, it really is. And we're feeling that surge over here too. And especially with the pandemic and things like that, sort of the lack of coaching at the high school level and, and the, sort of those, those Mike Cates, right? The, the teacher coaches that are in, in the building, you know, God bless the volunteers who give up their time, but those teacher coaches are vital. And, and I think out here in BC, we're finding it's, it's a harder thing and schools aren't making it as much of a priority to hire those people either, right? It used to be an advantage to get you a job. Now it's 50-50 with someone else in their resume, which is a whole nother podcast and I have whole other <laughs> opinions on, right? And, you know, right. culture and schools and things like that. But that's how I got hired. I was a, I'm a teacher by trade. So I got hired at a school because I was willing to coach the sports at the school. So it's, it's, it's totally, much, it's totally different now. It's, you're getting outside people coming into the school to coach the teams now. So it's a, do you ever look back and think about like how fortunate or how it's interesting that you had someone like Mike as your high school coach, just to get it all rolling for you? You know, like if maybe you had a lesser high school experience, maybe things go a little bit differently for you. You know what I mean? And then it just sort of starts to snowball from there. It seems like. Yeah. I, again, you know, I don't know where I'd probably be without Mike sitting me down and, you know, getting, putting me on track. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, I get so consumed by it. I was just living and breathing basketball all day long and, forgetting about school a little bit. Mike had to sit me down and, and get me on track because mm -hmm. in, in Toronto at that time, like basketball was culture, right? You, you got your name, you got your rep through basketball, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it was. And so if you didn't have that, you weren't really anybody. So I was consumed by, I needed to get that. I needed to be respected. And, and on my high school team, I was the only white kid on a whole black high school team. So you know, I had to work extra hard at earning their respect. And that's, you know, that was important for me. I needed to get their respect. Absolutely. No, no, no. That's, and that's a great point. When did you start to realize that it was something that you could pursue? I mean, you got coach telling you, Hey, this is something you can play at the next level. Um, when did you start to believe it and start to think, all right, I want to expand this off to a, you know, a post-secondary career. My senior year of high school, I made city all-star, which okay. is, you know, again, in Toronto was a pretty good accomplishment. Right. And so, you some some would say so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so and then your recruiting starts up, and you're being recruited by a number of universities, and now you know it's it's a possibility, and so you got to make sure you have all your ducks in order to make sure it happens. And I wanted to go away, but I didn't want to go away too far, and so you know I was originally going to go to uh, University of PEI, but then um, Ottawa U came in and and uh, went out of their way to help me. I had a summer job and I didn't want to lose my summer job, but if I wanted to go to Ottawa, you had to go to summer school for a class coach coach reached out to my, to my boss and said, Hey, let this kid go to summer school and let him come back to the job when he's done. And it all worked out. And that's how, that's how it all went down. That's how I ended up at Ottawa. U. It's funny how it works like that. And then turns into that. Yeah. And then how were those years, you know, playing at the next level and, and competing and finally having a path working towards school and, and being able to play some high level basketball, what were those teams like and those experiences? You know, during my time, first year we were complete, was complete rebuild, mm. right? Kind of a different situation that I thought that I was going into. We were supposed to have a veteran team and some of the vets didn't decided they weren't coming back. So we ended up having 10 freshmen that year. I remember that year. Ooh. So we struggled for about two years. And then our third year, we had a third and fourth year. We had pretty good teams. And then our fifth year, again, it was kind of like a rebuild where I was, you know, one of the senior guys, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed university basketball. The teammates, the friendships, the bonds, the road, like everything about it is a good time, right? Everyone talks about, you know, the wins and the losses, but me, it's about the friendships and the experiences that I had playing at the University of Ottawa that I'll remember the most. I couldn't agree more. It's just those funny moments on the road, right? Like uh, yeah. just all the silly stuff and, you know, tell the kids that I teach and coach just 
like if you, if you come back in 10 years and say that high school is the best time of your life, well, then just punch me in the face, you know, like you're going <laughs> to in 19 to 25, like those years are just so they're so fun. Right. And they're so like precious. You're changing so much. You're learning so much, but the kind of like, you have the stress of school, but really that's it. Like you're just living life. Right. And it's a really, really good time. And I agree. I agree. It's about those memories. I mean, had some success along the way, but it really isn't about that. When you meet up with guys and go out for a beer or get to chat with someone, it's, it's the funny stuff that, that comes out. Right. <laughs> it's the stories you share like 10 years later, hundred percent when you're hanging out with your guys and you're like, you remember that time we did this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so those kind of memories. Yeah. And, uh, Unfortunately, though, those are probably the stories we want to share on the podcast, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I know we can't, we can't do things now. We can't do things now like we did way before. Yeah, hell yeah. Di- different times, different, <laughs> different, uh, different rules and regs now. I think the cool part for you is like the experiences that you've had and now being in your role, right? Like going through that high school experience, getting recruited, playing, and then being able to fall back on some of the the things that you enjoyed about it, the the things that you didn't enjoy about the coaching you received, you know, and, and trying to use those things. Do you find yourself constantly changing and trying to grow as a coach, you know, being involved with the game for so long? And you've mentioned a couple of times about how things are so different these days. I find myself constantly doing different things with the guys and, and language and how we go about practice and all those things um, because they just, they, they take it so different. Hey, it's, it's such an interesting thing. And I'm sure you find that yourself often. It is. It is. I mean, you know, it's much different from when we, you know, we, when I played and then when I started my early coaching, you know, you're never too old to learn. And so mm-hmm. your coaching styles, you change through the times and through the years, you, you learn some things and you watch some different people achieve some success and maybe you try to model some of that as well. No, yeah, it's much different. I mean, the, the athlete now is, uh, more inquisitive, asking more questions about why, why are we doing it like this? And so back in the day, you never questioned your coach. You just kind of (laughs) do whatever the coach asked you to do or tells you to do, right? So it's different now. And, you know, the relationships, you know, you're building, you know, relationships with your kids and kids are, I mean, it's it's different growing up now, right? Than it was when when we grew up or when I grew up and these kids have different distractions and have different, different things going on in their lives that I just didn't. Or if I did, I just, maybe I had a support system. Maybe we just, we got through it the best way we could. And you see now with all the mental health issues, right? And kids are going through so much. You got to, it's, it's a different kind of relationship. It's a different kind of bond. You have to be on top of those things with your players and be a part of their lives outside of basketball and not mm-hmm. just basketball. I think that's important. But the game has changed, you know, we started coaching. It was NCAA rules. And now we moved to FIBA rules, which I, which I love. And so as the game changes, you know, your, your philosophy changes, you gotta, you gotta get, you gotta get better. You gotta get sharper, right? You can't be coaching, you know, the game like it was 20 years ago. You gotta keep to date with what's going on and recruiting. And when I started, I was the young cat, right? I was the young guy. I was the guy trying to make change, right? Do things differently. And now that I'm the kind of like the, the old guy on the block, I'm watching all these young guys and the energy and how hard they're working and, how much it means to them. And so, you know, keeps you, keeps you going. Right. Mm -hmm. I would say now that, you know, it's, it's, it's different in every level in terms of just the player, what players can do and how they play. And then just the coaches now and how coaches think and how the game has evolved. And so the game's at a really good place. Uh, You know, it really is. And I just wish we had more, I would say, you know, I went to, I watched my son yesterday play at Indiana state. They played Mm -hmm. Indiana state at Indiana state. And just the crowd and the passion and how much it meant to those fans that, you know, just wish we had that more at, at, at our universities. And I know we had it in high school when I played. We had 2,000. We were at high school with 2,000 students. The gym was sold out every, every game. Right. So we're selling out high school games, but we can't sell out university games. And to me, that doesn't make sense. I agree. I've never really been able to understand it as well, you know, and I don't know what it was like crowd wise when you're involved at Humber too, but same thing, you know, Langara, you know, we're like 20 and oh, <laughs> we got like 18 people in the crowd and we know them all, you know what I mean? And and it's the same thing. They'll pack the, they'll pack the provincials and put 4,000 in for the final games, but UBC, UVic will get 350 people and they should have 1500. Right. And I don't know what, what it is either. Um, maybe it's that, you know, Americans take a lot more pride in sport, I think too, like just that 
you know, when they wear that jerk, that, that sweater or whatever out, it like really means a lot to them. Um, so, but you do, you do bring up an interesting point there. Let me ask you, how did you get into the Ottawa job? I'm just intrigued in terms of how that started to roll for you. I know there's gotta be a good story there. Um, after finishing five years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, so we had, I just finished at Humber and we had won a national championship after, after losing all those semifinals to Langara. <laughs> we f- I finally got one my, my last, my last year there. We actually played at Humber. We played Sheridan in the final. So that right. gym was like, whenever Humber Sheridan was like the rival where the gym was always full. And yeah. so it was a great environment to be in. So did you jump from Ottawa right into Humber right away? No, I went, I actually was an assistant at Ottawa. Yeah. I went into, I got a teaching job in Toronto. Okay. So I moved to Toronto and I was teaching and being an assistant coach at Humber. And so I just got a pretty good position teaching. I was going to be full-time phys ed teacher at an elementary school, which doesn't exist nowadays, but I was a really good dude and he was trying to help me out. And he knew that I could help him out doing that with the school, with the sports teams. And so we had, he had just called me like probably like three days and said, I got good news. I got you full-time for that. I was like, all right. And then three days later, I got the call from Ottawa U. Then we'd like to offer you the job. And so I had to go back into my principal and he was like, You're, you got to be kidding me. And I was like, I'm sorry, I got to take this. And so I went on sabbatical. I went on leave for two years okay. for my teaching job. And I got the job at Ottawa U coming off, you know, coming off that championship at Humber. As you're a, when you're a young coach, you kind of you, you think you're ready. Like I had done five years at Humber as an assistant. I'd done five at Ottawa U. So it had been 10 years as an assistant. I thought I was ready, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you get there and you're now you're the head man, it's like, you're really not ready. But you actually, <laughs> actually go through it, right? You got to right. go through it and figure out the day to day and just everything. And, you know, then you got, you got Carlton down the road and Dave Smart's doing what he's doing. And so it, you had to figure it out real quick or, or they would embarrass you. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so that's how I got that job. I was nice to come back to my alma mater. I mean, I had some people behind the scenes helping me get the job. But, you know, having played there five years and then being assistant for five years, I think really helped me get that job. You know, always the takeaways like not burning bridges and developing relationships along the way, right? And treating people well so that because you never know when when you're going to need to lean on someone else, right? And, you know, if you're a bit of an asshole, and didn't treat people with respect and stuff, then you probably would have been way down the list for that job. So going about it the right way, professional and looking, you know, for the future, how long do you think it took to get the culture really ingrained or at least your culture that you wanted in Ottawa, Gigi's basketball um, until, you know, DeRuin and Dallin came and ruined everything for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, those guys were there my first year. So James and James and Jeffy were there my first, my first year. And I can't say that I was really a great coach my first year or a good coach because I saw that the culture needed to to be changed. And I spent quite a bit of time on the road recruiting and getting ready for life after those guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as a head coach, you kind of, as they say, you got to go out and get your own guys. And, you know, these guys weren't my guys per se. But, and so I, I was on the road quite a bit recruiting, but then, you know, it was, like players are pretty smart. They know what the deal is. Right. And those guys kind of, you know, I'm in there, I'm a young guy. They're in there. Some of them are 50 year guys. They haven't had success. And so it, it's, it's always easy to taking over a program and starting from scratch. And so it took us about three years to get to the nationals. We brought in a really good freshman class. My first year I had brought James on as an assistant. He was very helpful in terms of relating, you know, relating to those young guys and, and being their ear and helping them out, having gone through his experiences. But it took us about three years. We, you know, we had a good class of recruits, and they all grew. They all grew together. And then we were missing one piece, and it was a point guard. And we were lucky to get a pretty good point guard out of Toronto, uh, Josh Gibson Bascom, who kind of, you know, took us to the next level. It made us. Mm-hmm. It made us elite. Right. And when you're again, you're in the same city as Carlton. You know, there's a lot of pressure and. Some of my best memories are those games against Carlton, just because of the crowd and the at- like. We talk about crowd and atmosphere. There was nothing like those games, and and we try to make through David. We try to make it a, a an event, and we you know we eventually did, and we put ten thousand people in an arena to watch that game, and that still exists to this day. And you know, James and and Taffy are doing a great job keeping that alive, and it's you know it's it's great to have. I'd like to see 
again, that's just me thinking outside the box. The rivalry week, where we, I'm sure that every every school could probably do it in their province. At least oh, yeah. have one rivalry week where we can have our, the two rivals play each other, and you know, make it a big event and put you know five to ten thousand people in an arena and just make it fun. When you're recruiting athletes out of you, I mean, that's one of your biggest draws is you get to play in front of ten thousand people here at this event, right? And and it's something that students at the school. Uh, they mark on their calendar. We have a football game that we call Panda at Ottawa U that used to draw fifteen to twenty thousand, and then we had now we had a basketball game that would draw anywhere from five to ten thousand. So it becomes an event. I don't think kids remember the score. I it just <laughs> hey, I got to mark it on my calendar because it's something cool to do, right? You know, it was that first that first class of kids who really kind of put us on the map. And then the program starts to roll, you know, making the final eights and things like that. And within that, you learning and growing. Let's touch on the national team stuff. You know, you've been involved with Canada basketball for so long in so many different roles and, and places. And what a pleasure it must have been to have those first chances to, you know, represent the Maple Leaf on your chest. Um, such a cool experience. And you must have some crazy stories from some of those from some of those days and continuing those days. To me, that's the greatest honor. Anytime you can represent your country in an event, you know, I started off as the manager, man. I was grinding it out, doing all the, all the things that nobody wants to do. Right? That's what I, that's what I heard. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Just grinding it out and just, you know, learning as I went along, you know, keeping notes as I went along. I mean, I was around Ken Shields and Ken Shields, man, has, is an encyclopedia of basketball <laughs> and his knowledge. So you take as much knowledge as you can. And then, Mike joined Ken, Mike Cates joined Ken's staff. And so it was a chance for me to be with Mike again. You know, I started there and then I had been helping out in camps and just volunteering. And I was actually getting to a point where I thought, I, you know, I was hoping I would get one of the jobs and it wasn't coming my way. And, and then finally I got the call from coach Triano about, about being uh, the head coach of the cadet team. And that was like the beginning of my coaching experience and being on staffs and just, you know, unbelievable time watching young you know watching these young guys grow you sit back now and you watch you know rj barrett you watch jamal murray guys that i've coached or are playing in the nba you know iggy and these guys who are just it was just it's just so much fun watching them and sitting back and saying you know if i had a small part in that you know i played a real small part in it and just to watch them and then the relationships i built with those kids so when i see them you know we're always exchanging hugs and and stories and i'm wishing them well it's just, you know, the countries you get to see and you get to see how basketball is played around the world. I think that was the biggest thing for me. I was going overseas and I was watching how, you know, the Argentinas and the Australias and the Spains were playing basketball. I was like, hey, I like this. And so I brought some of that back to, to Ottawa U with me, all right, when I first started. And then I took it to McGill with me. And it was just, again, it was just an opportunity for me, one, to do the thing I wanted to do the most was represent my country and then watch and, and grow the game and bring it back and try to grow the game back home and adding different things and helping my players get to where they want to get to if they want to be pros because now I kind of know what it's like being overseas. Like when you're overseas, is not for everybody. I mean, mm -hmm. everyone thinks that you travel and you're, you're living the life and you're, it's, it's not always what's meant to be, right? The food's different and you're, you're in a gym. I remember going to Dubai when it was 100, Dubai in August. It's like 120 <laughs> degrees outside. You couldn't go outside. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you people, oh, you went to Dubai. Yeah. But we went when it was like 150 and you couldn't go outside. You couldn't even go in the pool because you couldn't yeah, get out. Of, yeah. Because you get out of the pool and you're like, you, you could catch like your serious, serious sunburn. And burn. Yeah. <laughs> so not always what it's meant to be, but the experience of coaching and watching teams and how they play and then bringing that back has really helped me. I love it. I mean, something that I, I would always do represent my country. It's an honor. And anytime I can do it, I'm I'm stepping up to the plate and I'm doing it. I'm, I don't think I've ever said no. I don't think I'll ever say no mm -hmm. because it's it, it's an honor. All right. Yeah. It doesn't always go as well as you want it to, but but it's still you know it's an opportunity that most people don't get. Absolutely, getting to work with you know some of those names that you've mentioned and you've you know coached and been around a lot of pros. Is there anything that stands out that separates them? Like, was there something about RJ or Jamal that was just different from the get go that you noticed, or other than obviously their their skill set and their you know ability? But like, was it was it a work ethic thing? Were they already thinking like pros? Was there something that stood out for you with those guys? Yeah, I, part of it we work ethic. I mean, I know they were in the gym quite a bit. You know, when these kids are like, again, with AU, 
you know, and you're a, you know, you're a senior in high school and you're trying to get to a division one school, AAU circuit is more actually sometimes you're on an AAU circuit so much that by the time you get to play for your country, you're exhausted because yeah. you've been on the road, you've been on the road. Right. And by the time we got some of these athletes, they were fatigued and we had to give them the proper rest. And, but you could just tell that these guys were going to be pros the way they, one, the way they carried themselves and just their mindsets. Like, Hey, I'm better than everybody. They just had this mindset that they were just better than everybody and they were going to work hard to get to where they wanted to go. And, you know, when you got players like that, I mean, it's, and somebody asked me about RJ one time about, you know, what's it like coaching a kid like RJ? It's like, you know, you have to let RJ be RJ, but along the way, you got to, you know, you're always talking to them. You're always trying to help them. And it may not even be a basketball situation. It may be a life situation, right? So anytime, you know, trying to help them and, you know, develop some basketball like you to go along with all the skills that they have. But it's, you can't take away, you know, what they do best. You know, you sometimes we get in there as coaches and we think, oh yeah, I want to teach them how to play the right way, right? You got two weeks with these kids, maybe three weeks this kid's going to the NBA and you're like, you want to change the way you, way he plays. No, you can't do that. Right. It's not, that's, that's your ego getting in the way of, you know, what, what the real purpose of this is, is, is development for these kids. And so with development, you gotta, you gotta coach them up, but you gotta let them be who they are because they're here. They've got to this point because of who they are. You know, sometimes as coaches, we come in there thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to change the system. I'm going to make it work. Right. That's not what you're there for at the youth ages, right? That's not yeah. part of what you, your job is to, you know, nurture these young guys and educate and teach and support them. And I think that's something that I learned over my time as the cadet coach. Cause I went in there like that too. You know, I'm going to teach them how to play D I'm going to tell them, how to, <laughs> you know? And so no, it's, 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 you have to, you have to change your mindset a little bit and understand the purpose and the objective of everything while you're there. That's great. Um, awesome stuff. I just actually, like two days ago, listened to a podcast with Jamal Murray on it. And I've never really heard him speak a lot. He seems like a very sort of softer spoken kind of guy. And like, he's got a sort of quieter demeanor, but you're exactly right. Like when he was talking, I was like, this guy's a cold blooded killer. And like, when he was talking, it was like oozing confidence. Like Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes are asking him all these questions. He's like, no, nah, I was better than that guy. No, no, I'm right there. Nope. Uh, you know, the, the bar for me is Steph Curry. And I'm like, and he wasn't joking. I was like, damn, like, no just different right different mindset different i mean jamal you have to meet jamal's dad roger who kind of trained jamal at a young age and pushed jamal to where he is right that you said you know i remember jamal was an assassin the one thing i found about rj and and jamal they're not afraid of any moment they're not, they're not afraid to fail you know give me the ball i'll make the shot if i don't i'll make the next time i mean you watch you watch rj do it with canada at u19s bring beat the americans win the gold awesome. medal right all rj right rj mm -hmm. had a great game but Jamal, you know, watch Jamal in the NBA. It's it's the same way, and I think that's part of their success for sure is their mentality, and in the work that they put in behind it. I mean, I remember Roger and Jamal tells a story about missing free throws because they used to work outside, and his dad would send him to run the hill if you miss free throws, right? So, you know, it's a it's definitely not for everybody, right? And but you got to have a strong mind to be successful at the highest level. When did you know it was time for Ottawa? Like you just needed some change and, and your heart was telling you just to, to go for a different adventure or were you thinking about it for a while or? You know, I, I, you know what, in reality, I mean, Ottawa was a great job because it gave me an opportunity and, and the people there that were, were amazing with me, but there were, there were certain things about it. I didn't like, I didn't, you know, I spent a lot of time fundraising money and I didn't want I, more time fundraising than I did coaching. Exhausting. And, yeah. yeah. And so I knew it came with the job and I accepted it. But you get to a point, I mean, I was on I was nine years in, we were having success. And I just wanted some long term security and I wasn't getting it. And so when the opportunity came up at McGill, it gave me the gave me some long term security. It gave me a pretty good pretty good pay scale. I was getting a raise. And I was working for a guy, I was working for my A D, the guy Drew Love, who was the A D at Carlton. So that's how I first met Drew. And then Drew went to McGill and then, you know, when the job came open and I went, I sat down with Drew to talk about it. We kind of shared a lot of the same similarities in terms of how we wanted to build the program and what we wanted to do. And so 
it's really important, you know, that you kind of share the same ideas as your AD when you take a job, right? Why so? Because, you know, you could you you can want different things for your program and for and for your kids, and then your you know your AD's like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. There's roadblocks, 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 right? And you're always coming up against roadblocks, and it's frustrating, right? You know, we built Ottawa U. You know, myself, my staff, the kids, we built it to we thought was like, you know, we're one of the top five programs in the country. And so I think we took a program that was in deficit and we put it in surplus. You know, that was something we were proud of. Our kids were graduating. Our kids were going to play overseas. We had, you know, it was just everything about Ottawa U was at a good place. And I just thought, hey, yeah, I, I, I could use some long-term security here. And, and that's what I wanted. And I wanted some more money, to be honest. And maybe I was selfish and I was much younger then, right? So, but I just thought I was worth more than what was going on there. And, uh, but it was hard because I was leaving behind a program. It's like leaving behind your children. You started something from scratch and you built it. And it was, and the people that were there, amazing people that I worked with mm-hmm. in the community, the Ottawa community, I mean, embraced me. All right. I mean, you know, you're kind of like the little brother to Carlton. And then we kind of grew and grew and grew. And then the people in the community just, you know, they put us, they, I was just part of that community. I, I loved it there. And so when we lost our last game, it was a playoff game, the Lakehead, and I think Lakehead, Scott Morrison, they went to the Nationals that year. And my, my point guard, Josh, was now a senior. He was graduating. I decided it was just time, and the timing was right. I was disappointed because I was going to leave a couple of kids behind that I, that I recruited that I really, really liked as a young man. But sometimes you just know it's time. And I was getting, yeah. I was getting a little burnt out there to be honest. Fair enough. I appreciate that honest reflection. And I think it's good too, for people who have conversations with people and they say, Oh, you, do you ever think about applying for, you know, a college position or whatever. Right. And not that I would get them, but just really do love coaching. And, but I don't think people really realize some of the stuff like yourself that these coaches have to do behind the scenes in Canada, right? Like to think about personally fundraising. So I got to worry about recruiting. So I got to get on the road and get guys to come play for our program. I got to, we've got to be good X's and O's. I got to convince a few assistants to work with me for not much money as well. Right. Right. And they've got to either be students or have a decent job. Right. So you Mm got to juggle that. And then on top of that, you got to go and try to bring money to the program so that you can say to these guys, Hey, like, come on in, you know, we can, you know, offer you some school or whatever. Like it has to become exhausting. And and I, and I give every single post-secondary coach in our country, like the utmost respect. And I don't think there's any shame in, in feeling like, Hey, this is what I feel my value is. And are you willing? Okay. Well then I think I need to find something else. So I think that's good for people to hear. Yeah. I think too, you know, at the point, you know, where basketball coaches weren't getting paid a lot, even full-time guys. So uh, you, you go back to referencing uh, assistant coaches. When I started as an assistant coach, I made 500 bucks. <laughs> Right. And yeah, so, so I don't mean to laugh, but you know, right, like, no, it's to nothing, that, right? Yeah. Right. And I was, you know, working in a weight room a little bit, just, just trying to grind it out and make enough money so I can live. You know, when I was now as a full-time guy, you know, with success, you can't help but look at, across the border and guys are making millions of dollars doing mm-hmm. less than what <laughs> we're doing as a full-time coach with, you know, with eight assistant coaches and stuff like that and all the money and all this, all the resources. And so, you know, you just get to a point where you, like you say, you got to think, what am I worth? We've seen the salaries of head coaches, you know, go up throughout the years and, that, and as it should, I think we could still be like, we like to make more money if we could, but you know, the, now we got full-time assistants and, and that's great for our game and, and for young coaches to get involved. So I like to think that, you know, when I, some of us just said, Hey, we need to make more money, right? We need to get paid for what we're doing that we kind of started a trend and, and said, Hey, we're not going to work for less than what we're what we're worth, and so McGill gave me that opportunity, and I'm forever grateful uh, mm-hmm. to Drew for that opportunity. Yeah, that's great, Noah, and, and nice to hear that you feel like the landscape's changing. I feel like it's we're behind still; like it should yeah. have been a long time ago. But you know, all we can ask for is progression, right? And things with the streaming and kind of the social media, and you know, be, our athletes being able to be more out there and more present is good. Um, and as long as it continues in that direction, but I think you, you know, you bring up a really, really good point. Just aware of your time here and know that you no, want to I'm get good. out there I'm, with your son. Okay. I'm good. I'm good. I, he just texted me. He's got, he's okay. in the library. So we're good. Okay. Oh, what a guy. What a guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 He learned he something better, from, his, he he learned something he from his dad. Be, no, he didn't learn that from his dad. Learned That's that from his saying. mother. <laughs> he learned what not to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. True enough. True enough. 
you know, how about was, was that time at McGill, the experiences there and shifting from sort of like getting Ottawa, like you mentioned, to an elite level, leaving that and then going to a new place. What did you take from the previous experience and develop and push into McGill to try and get it to the same spot? You know what? It was, it was a fresh start for me. It was really mm-hmm. because now I'm going to, a, I was going to a place that you're coaching a different kind of athlete, really. These guys aren't there to become pros and mm. go overseas and make money. They're there to be lawyers and doctors and, <laughs> you know, accountants and engineers. And so it was a different mindset. And, and it was like the challenge was, hey, you're, you can't win at a school like McGill because it's all academics. It was all about academics and wanted to prove that you could kind of do it at a school like McGill where you could be successful uh, in the classroom, but also successful on the court. And again, you had to go through a whole culture change. We had, and this was new to me because I didn't know, you know, how many hours can we train with these guys that doesn't affect their school because they'll just quit. Yeah, they're they're there to go to school. So interesting. Yeah. yeah so we went, we did some research and went. How many hours does the guys at Harvard and Princeton and all the Ivy League schools? I mean, we asked them, well, how many hours do you train? And so we came up with, you know, they gave us an answer and we came up with it and tried to get a, a pretty good balance of how many hours we could train with our guys and make sure that their school doesn't suffer. But again, the big thing was culture change, right? Just wanting guys who wanted to play basketball and not just there for school, but for school and basketball. And so we were able to do that. You know, I had great assistant coaches at, at McGill as well. I mean, I've been fortunate everywhere I've gone. I've had great assistant coaches. And so we built this program and I think there was one guy left. By the time we won our first championship, I think year three or year four, there was one guy left from, from when we started. And he had quit and come back. Wow. And so it's just a different mindset. And, you know, we had to change the culture. And that was the biggest thing. People at McGill were amazing, too. I just, I, like, I've been fortunate. I've worked a lot of good places with a lot of good people in the basketball community there, too. They embraced me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get into the community and I wanted to work in the community and do clinics and invite everybody to practice who wanted to come watch practice and, and do those things and just put McGill basketball on a higher level. All right. And, and that's, we were fortunate to do that with, you know, winning some championships, but bringing, so, you know, we, we played Duke in Montreal in front of 10,000 people. That's an experience you're never going to, my guys are never, ever going to forget. And so providing those, we went to Costa Rica and played in Costa Rica against American schools. And so it was just a different vibe for McGill that they, they, I guess they weren't used to. So, and they let me grow as a coach. They let me be me. Right. And so I, I really appreciated my time there. You know, it was hard. It was harder for me to leave McGill than it was for me to leave Ottawa. Hmm. Yeah. Why is that? Just, just, you know what? I really didn't have a reason to leave McGill except for maybe the, the conference. Hmm. We didn't have enough teams. Um, we're playing the same teams four times. I and mean, that's not, that's not, that's not fun. So that was, you know, that was the main reason for me leaving. It wasn't about anything McGill wasn't doing or doing. McGill treated me like really, really well. Our basketball program was in a good place. Yeah. I was raising money. That I, I didn't have to run any camps to raise money, but I knew I needed some raise money because I wanted to do some extra things for my guys. And so uh, it was a different kind of alumni. I mean, you saw recently that George Langvery donated a million dollars to men's basketball. Yeah. And so that was something that I been working on when I was at McGill. I mm-hmm. developed a great friend. I still have a great friendship with George. And I was so happy. And I was kept pushing George to George, you could do more. You can give more, right? And you can make an impact on university sports that no one else has, especially men's basketball. And when you do it, I know other people at other schools will do it. And you and you can change the game. You can be a pioneer and change and change the game for these athletes. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to do stuff like that. Like because that was a different kind of alumnus who who had some different you know they had some money and i tried to you know i would get on i would get on a train at 8 a.m in the morning to toronto meet with an alumnus for lunch and get back on the train and come back for practice Mm. all in one day right but there was that kind of potential there uh to grow the game financially and make sure everything was you know you could do things and then other others and other schools would start doing things because you were doing things differently. And so I think that was, you know, really what I was getting into more towards the late stages of my time at McGill. Um, but now nah, it's an amazing place. It's an amazing city. Basketball in McGill, I mean, Montreal right now is growing at a, at a fast pace, almost like when Toronto started, it started to grow and grow and grow to what it is now. McGill is doing that now. And you're seeing, you're seeing pros now in the NBA from Montreal. 
did they look at you sideways when you came with the dude proposal or was it, you, <laughs> you know what, you know what, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a different, different mindset. I, I can go back to Ottawa. You, when we were, we got it going in my, I was speaking to my AD and he says, Hey coach, you got to slow down a little bit. Your program's going too fast, right? We can't support everything that you want to do here. When I, when I got, when at McGill and I bring in everything to McGill, it's like, how do we make this happen? Mm. You know, so it was just, we want to make this happen. Right. And so it was a different, I mean, but that was a different time when I was at Ottawa. U. it was a different time for basketball yep. than how, where it was when I was at McGill continuously grows and grows in McGill. You know, how do we make it happen? How do we make it happen? And so they were very supportive and, you know, the way they run things at McGill, I was really impressed how, how they treated the athletes. The athletes are treated really well at McGill. And, and I, and I love that. And I, you know, now that I've started my job at Ryerson, Ryerson's a little different than McGill, obviously, but my biggest thing is to make sure that what my athletes were getting at McGill is what I'm trying to get my athletes at Ryerson. And they have most of that in place, but there are a couple things. Mm-hmm. Like for me now, you know, it's about making sure that these guys get everything they need and more to make it a great experience for them. You know, because when I, when I played, you're playing on nothing, right? You're, mm-hmm. Your meal money was like 10 bucks, right? And you're, you're eating, you weren't even eating half of the time, right? You're eating a whatever, whatever you could for as cheap as you could find it. Yep. So now, you know, you're trying to get your guys as much meal money as you can. You're trying to get meal, good meals, good hotels. And again, you know, when I play, we're sharing beds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we don't do that. Right. The quality of the hotels we stay in is much better. Man, we're going to Costa Rica. We never went to Costa Rica. Right. Yeah. How do you, we were taking our teams down to Texas and playing division one school. Like it's a different time that's the thing now for me is my focus now is the athletes really making sure that they have everything they need. How long you see yourself kicking around the game for? I feel like you're just going to, uh, you're going to be one of these guys that's always hovering around. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's interesting. I've come down here to Valpo a couple of times and the staff has been very welcoming. They yeah. Really- I wanted to jump into that. Like how, how's that experience having your son? And, and that must be very cool for you. Hey, you know what? It's, it's amazing to watch your, your, your son at a place where he's really happy and the Valpo family, it's a small school and, and the coaches are, are really good with my son. They treat, they treat my son really well. Everyone in the community treats my my, they're the team here, right? Valpo men's basketball is the team and it, they're embraced by the community. Right. But it also, there's a lot of pressure too. When you're the, when you're yeah. the main in town, you got to produce. So there's some of that, but it's, you know, he worked, he's, he's worked really hard to get to where he, where he, um, he is right now. He was a provincial, you know, he was a provincial level soccer player and had to make a decision at 14 or 15, mm-hmm. about what he wanted to do. And he chose basketball. And he's been doing it, you know, when your son go, when your son leaves your home in grade 10 to go to prep school, it's, it's difficult, right? I mean, you know, it's, he's young. Yeah, it's young. He's in grade 10 and he's leaving home to go to prep school. You know, you know you're not going to see your son every day and he's going there and you're trusting people to raise your son basically when you're not there. And so through TRC in Orangeville, he had two great experiences, but Valpo, it's pretty much an extension of that. And so these guys have let me come in and watch practices you know, watch, attend a couple of film sessions, but we got to be careful because I'll, although I'm a coach, I'm still a parent. So we can't break any of the rules that go on. Yeah. Right. So yeah. we're very careful, but they let me watch practice and it's, we talk basketball and it's, yeah. it's pretty cool. And then, like I said, we driving down to Indiana state to watch my son play in the home of Larry bird. Right. If you're a basketball guy, it doesn't get any better than that. Pinch yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you walk in that, or you walk, you walk into the, the arena and there's the statue of Larry Bird outside the arena. And so, and now, you know, you're in basketball country and Indiana's basketball country. And so the fans here are knowledgeable, but they're, they're fair, but they're tough. Right. And so he's getting, you know, he's getting uh, acclimated to what's going on and learning how things are done here. And the NCAA is a little different than being in prep school. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> he's, he's enjoying that a lot. And so for me, when I'm around it now, I wish I kind of say to myself, I wish I kind of, kind of pursued it in a different way. Maybe I would have been down here already. I was really wasn't aggressive in terms of trying to get to the States, but now being around the whole atmosphere and the whole vibe, I kind of second guess myself a little bit about not doing that. So what advice would you give to a younger coach? Who's maybe just not 
willing to throw themselves out there, maybe just nervous, but would you, you know, would you tell a young coach, Hey, just go for it. If it's on your goal sheet, like send emails, contact, reach out. How does someone go about? I would definitely, I would definitely recommend. Look, if it's, if it's a goal, if it's a dream of yours, do it. You know, I've been coaching a long time in, in, in Canada, but the vibe here coaching is much different. I mean, coaches here are much more respected here than they are at home. All right. And not just through pay, just in general. Right. And, it's just a different vibe and it just to be around the excitement of sport and people appreciating the sport and supporting their school. Like, you know, we talked about that earlier. Yeah. It's different. And being a coach here, uh, there's so many opportunities. There's so many programs, there's so many different levels. It's, it's different for me now. Like I say to myself, I kind of look at it as, a, you know, if there's a young coach out there right, who's just starting out, they could use an old veteran like me who's been through, you know, who's been a head coach for 20 years now and assistant for 10 that who can help you with some of the smaller things that you don't know. Right. Sometimes these younger coaches are like, even myself, I started as a young coach. I didn't know anything, but I thought I knew everything. Right. And I think it's the same with a lot of coaches. You know, you think you're going to come in here and you're going to come in and change the program above. There's a reason they've made a coaching change because the program's not very good. Mm-hmm. That's usually the case. Right. <laughs> and so yeah. you're not coming in here the, you know, with, the, with everything laid out for you, everything, you got you're coming in here because they haven't won and they got you got to change like you got to change culture and so someone who's been through it i think i could help a program that way using my experience and giving my experience and my thoughts and so looking at it from a different angle now how i could probably get into it if i wanted to try to uh to chase it a little bit but for young people yeah man go go get it go get it you got to see what it's like to be down here and, and the excitement of being down here and being involved in it and the respect that you'll get as a coach, and, you know, and then who knows? I mean, it's the, you know, the NBA is not far away. Right. And so it's the people you meet, the networks that you meet, the social, you know, the connections that really help you in the game. So if you got some people in the States that you're connected with through camps or different events and it, and it opens a door for you, I would open that door and I would walk right through it now. Yeah. And we've talked a couple of times about what's changed over you know, you starting out at Humber as an assistant, you can't just hop on the internet and search up Indiana State or, you know what I mean? And reach out yeah. to the third assistant coach. It's like now you can hop online. Here's my resume. Here's what I've done. Do you need a student assistant? Like you can contact any school you want, right? So it's so different now. I mean, it's, and there are opportunities. You just, like you said, you got to be like, you got to work to find those opportunities and be aggressive and be aggressive. If you can, you know, if you can help, if you can recruit, and bring kids with you, then that even helps you even better. But once you're down here, you truly understand it. You yeah. truly understand it. Sports are important here. Let's do some fun questions and we'll get you on your way. How's that sound? All right, my man. All right. You music guy at all? I'm I'm an old school R&B guy. Okay. Oh. A little and a little bit of the old rock and roll groups like okay. Queen, Queen and Kiss and no Rush and those groups. Okay. Yeah. So you get you get one couple tickets, best seat in the house, any concert, dead or alive, doesn't matter who they are. Who are you going to see? You get one one concert. I'm, I'm probably Michael Jackson. Hey. Probably Michael Jackson. Yeah. Did you get a chance? No, I didn't. No. I didn't. And I think, you know, Queen would be a second choice for me. Mm-hmm. You know, watching Freddie Mercury, like, could have been at Live Aid and he had performed. Oh, man. That movie when they did it, like it felt like you were at the concert. Hey, it was like I watched man. that movie like ten times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to, I, I love it. Just to get to the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Who have been some of the most important people in your life? I mean, your parents, obviously. I mean, my parents and people that have supported me through the game. Mike Cage has been big influence on my life in the way. If it wasn't for Mike, I'm not where I am right now. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of basketball. You know, but I would say Mike in terms of basketball, but, you know, your parents and your family in terms of everything else. Great. Um, is there an all-time book that you could recommend to someone? I don't know if you read much or a movie, like an all-time movie, what you got? Are you are you, are you much of a reader? Uh, you know what? I've read a lot of basketball books, but I haven't read many lately. Okay. But as far as movies, 
I mean, Shawshank Redemption is my movie. My man. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that thing a hundred times. What a movie that is. Great movie. Uh, oh, there's great Corpse. Movie. That's a top three for me as well. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I yeah. like it. Here we go. <laughs> okay. We're, you know, uh, we're a bit of old school guys, so we kind of, we're like, but don't get me wrong. I like the last two Avengers that I watched when, when Thanos was the man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think some of the kids call me Thanos. I think. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, for sure. I think some of the kids call me Thanos behind my back. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, you're, yeah, kind of, yeah. you're kind of sporting that Thanos look right now. <laughs> yeah, the hairline's got away from me since the Langara days and Brandon days, yeah. <laughs> Did these kids know how good a player you were back in the day? Uh, that's for them to find out, you know? <laughs> you got to do the research, right? Okay, <laughs> they got to do the research. I had nightmares about you, Aaron Mitchell. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I the Langara press break. Oh, <laughs> sequencing, baby. Yeah, the sequencing. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah. that's the one. It took me a while <laughs> to figure that bad boy out. Yeah, <laughs> love it. How do you feel about ketchup on macaroni? When you were a kid, ketchup on everything. Now that I'm adult, ketchup on nothing. Not the even sodium, sodium will kill me now. <laughs> oh, look at him. He's thinking healthy. Had a boy. Oh yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay. All right. It's good. See, that's. That's learning. That's growth mindset right there. That's exactly sure. what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, you put um, ketchup on everything when you were a kid, didn't there? It is true. You've seen so many games and been a part of as a player and a coach. If there was one or two games you could go back to for any reason, good or bad, is there a game that stands out to you that you'd like to experience again? Um, whether you could change the outcome or relive a moment, anything? Um, you know, it's funny that because with James and I, we coached that cadet team. We were in Argentina, and none of the youth teams had beaten the U.S. yet. We were up on the U.S. late or midway through the fourth quarter, mm. and, and the game got away from us a little bit. That would be the one game. Because, you know, you're representing your country, and it was, was going to be the first time something was going to be done at that age group, and we were pretty close to doing it. And then Roy did it, I think, the next year or the year after. And, you know, you're watching it, and – and it's just like we were that close to doing it, right? And it was something that hadn't been done. So I, you know, I would say that one. I mean, there's so many different games, right? You've been involved in so many things, but winning a silver medal at the Commonwealth Games, you know, with with Kev, that was a great experience, right? It was my first time with Kev doing coaching with Kev. We had a great time in Australia together, and to bring home a silver medal was was pretty cool. So different, you know, different events, you know. My first world championships in Toronto, 1994. The Dream Team, like Dream Team 2, actually, was Shaq and those guys. And so, was that at the Garden? It was at the Garden. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So, basketball has given me so many, so many memories and so many opportunities that I, I, I'm truly grateful, you know. And so, I could probably list off 15 to 20, but I know <laughs> we don't have that much time right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, man. I love it. With that question, who are some of the players that stand out to you, whether you played against or have coached against that are you like, okay, we got a plan and our plan did not work. I mean, obviously there's some Americans that like, okay, you know, yeah. <laughs> here's the plan for garden shack tonight, but who are some guys that you were like, damn, that guy could really hoop. You know, we go back to that game and we were playing so well. And then Gary Trent at, at, at 17 years old, just took over that whole game. And, mm. It was, uh, it was just watching a 17-year-old do that was, was pretty impressive. In terms of coaching, I mean, I mean, all ten kids, you know, man, our rival, our, our battles were against were against Carlton, right? And they had some great players. That Oswaldo was always a tough, Jonti mm. was always a tough check, and and then Dornick Camp, Aaron Dornick Camp. But there was just so many those battles, those games against Carlton were, were are are the most memorable for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I. And because of the atmosphere, but just the level of competition and the respect that, you know, that we had, I think we had for each other. Right. I mean, David, I can honestly say that Dave Smart made me a better coach mm-hmm. because if you weren't prepared to play Carlton, they, they would embarrass you. They would beat you by 70. Right. And so for me, it's like we're never we can't get beat by 70. Right. To me, that was fun. But, you know, when I look at when I look at it all and I mean, we played so many great players when they were young in terms of the cadet teams. And then at the university level, I remember which team it was. But there was a guy who put up 27 on us at the half. And you know, you play those August games against those Division One schools. You do a little bit of scouting, but you don't do a lot of scouting. And this guy put up 20. I'm like, who is this guy? And we found out that he was like the second leading scorer in the NCAA last year. 
right? And I'm like, from that on, from then on, we're going to take these U.S. games a little more seriously and do some scouting reports, right? For me, it was just the opportunity of playing. I was a young guy. I was a young coach. One of our first, one of our first games. I can't remember the guy's name, but he put up 27 and a half on us. I was like, well, okay. It was a small school. It wasn't even a big school. I never got a chance to see Kobe. Yeah. But I would want to. I would. Kobe was my guy. Magic was my guy. I loved Magic Johnson when I was growing up. I mean, I cried the day he retired. Me too. And I, and I cried the day Kobe died. So I've I've cried for two players, and they're and they're both Lakers. Yeah. So Magic was my guy. I love Magic. He changed the game. I thought Magic changed the game. I agree. And Say then, more. Uh, when Kobe died, I mean that was that was a sad day. Yeah, I think the, the reflection everybody says, and I felt the same too. I wasn't like a big Kobe fan per se, respected him, but just sort of, I think he had so much more after basketball life. I think he was about to do so many great things for, you know, his daughters, the women's side of the game yeah. and just everything in general. And it's just, that's the sad part about it is he never got to, you know, push that part of it. So it's interesting kind of, now you're hearing all the Kobe stories after he's, you know, he's passed. Yeah. And all the things, like you said, he's, he's, how he's going to help the women's game, and and just you, you know you you know what that podcast you mentioned with Barnes and uh, with Jackson. Yeah, that one was so good, right? And those guys tell Kobe stories all the time, right? And all the time. Some great stories, and so it's uh, those two guys were really I enjoyed watching, and I, and I enjoy watching LeBron now. I really enjoy watching LeBron because he reminds me of Magic. Yeah, Magic was the man. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Yeah. You break the diet. You're not worried about the sodium. You go, into the, <laughs> you go to the store. What bag of chips? You get to pick a bag of chips. Uh, bacon go, and you... hickory. Bacon and hickory. Ooh. Yeah, that's my favorite. I still have it, and it's not. It's, it's killing me. <laughs> it's killing me. <laughs> chips is definitely a weakness. I don't know. It's because you're on the road recruiting. You stop and get gas. You get a bag of chips to go with it, right? Yeah, hundred percent. But, yeah. but that's my go-to: bacon yeah. and hickory. Nice. Yeah. yeah, you just can't have them in the house in general, right? It's, no, no. Yeah. you can't buy. You can't buy them. Bring them yeah. to the house. They'll be gone. Yeah. You, Two more questions for you: Who would you like to see on this podcast, a hoops journey? But you have to help us get oh, them. Wow. So who who would be someone you think that's got a good story that you could reach out and say, hey, I think you'd be good to deal with this Mitchell guy for about an hour or so. Do you have James on already? Oh yeah. I'm sure you had James on already, yeah. Who had, would be a good had guy? Mike on? Oh yeah? I'm sure you had Kevin on already. Kevin's Kevin's got great stories. Oh, he was like episode twelve or something, and all he did was whine to me about how it took me that long to get him on. I'm like, okay, yeah, that, you know, that's a, that sounds like Kev. That sounds yeah. like Kev a lot. Let me see <laughs> anybody in Ontario here that would be good. You know what, Patrick Tatum would be good, a good guy for you to get on. Okay, PT was at Mac. I'd definitely help you get PT on there. Awesome. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Okay. Before I ask you the last question. Was the mustache as legendary as it should have been? Huh? <laughs> now I know that's a James thing right there, man. That's that's Busted. got James written all over me. Uh, uh, you know what? It, back in the day, it was. You know, back in the day, the stash was uh, it was uh, the go-to. But now I don't think I could rock the stash. I, now it's a little goatee action. Every every November, it's a goatee action that, yeah. I, that that I'll rock once in a while. But no, the stash. He got that guy kills me with the stash. He always he does. Send me a picture out of nowhere of me in the stash. So he always reminds me of the stash. He's just jealous because he could never grow one. Fair enough. That's probably true, <laughs> JD. It's probably true. Last question for you we always like to ask is, if you could do it all again, you would what? If I could do it all again, I would. I probably would chase my, chase my dream about being in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Pursue that more aggressively if I could do it all over again. Mm-hmm. Just change that. I mean, I think I've... I, I've enjoyed all my years of coaching, all my years of playing. And so I've gotten so much from this game. The game has given me so much and so much opportunity. I think I just wish I had pursued it a little bit more aggressively to get to the U.S. at, at a higher level. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've done all our stuff in this. In, in, in actuality, there's no more. There's no more places left for me to coach in Canada, mm-hmm. right? So the next step would have been, you, you know, an NBA position or a college position in the U.S. Well, that's what I would do differently. Well, thanks for being with us. We, you know, wish you, your family, your son, your program continued success. Any last sort of reflections or thoughts before we let you go and go uh, rebound and put them through a workout? Yeah, no, no. I appreciate your time. I love that you're doing this. And it's nice to sit back and reflect on the game and reflect on people that, you know, 
you've met along the way. And I said to him, you guy, you gave me nightmares at Langara, man. I can't. I was up all night trying to figure out sequence, figure out sequence. Figure out. And then, you know, Randy, Randy, Randy would always steal a game. Randy had that ability, right? And that, absolutely. Those are the stories that, you know, when you, when we sit down and we, you know, even with James and I, we sit down and have a beer and we talk about Langara Humber. Yeah. That's going to be with us forever. That's a part of our lives. Right. And just the guys that, you know, the guys that you played with and the guys that I coached on that team, the friendships that we still have, that's what basketball is. is It's beautiful because you have friendships that last forever. What a great way to end. I couldn't put it better myself. A guy who's been involved in the game for, you know, 30 plus years, given so much to it. Um, much respect to you and everything you've done to help grow, you know, mentor young coaches. You got, I mean, I'm sure it's a bit of a badge of honor to see where James is at and what he's been able to do. And there's probably many more along the way. Um, we appreciate your time and being with us. Continued success. And, um, all the best to you, Coach. It was great to reconnect. Appreciate you, Aaron. Thank you so much. Thank you, Corbin. You bet. Amazing episode. Thanks to our sponsors, Good Lad Clothing and Parkside Brewery. And we'll see you on the next episode.